Well, Zach said, today is my last day before sabbatical. Uh, and just a word of thanks for all of you who have sent encouraging notes or just said encouraging things about this time. Uh, that's been really helpful just to have that support. Um, and I hope it's beneficial time, not just for me and my family, but also for Westside Church uh, and excited for the future. A few of you asked me, um, hey, Dave, that's really good that you're going. Are you coming back? Uh, and the answer is, you know, we'll see. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the plan is to come back mid-August. Uh, excited for that. And today, I actually want to share with you what I'm excited for and why I will come back. Uh, and it's the same reason why I'm here already. Uh, it goes back the 13 years that I've been here. And today, I want to tell you about that. And I kind of want to ask you, uh, as we head closer and closer towards the summer, and some of you have been here for a long time, and some of you who are checking things out are a little bit newer, uh, just to hear a little bit about who I believe God has called us to be here at Westside Church, something that's very close to my heart. When I started as lead pastor, there's a relatively small group of people here, uh, and when we, we kind of sat down and said, who are we as a church, and what is God calling us to be, there was a really clear answer to that that pretty much everybody who was around talked about. Uh, we believe that God wanted us to reach the people all around us in our neighborhood, here in the west end of Hamilton and beyond, that we wanted to go out into this world and to people who don't know Jesus, we wanted to share Jesus, and so we started doing a whole bunch of things at that time. We studied our neighborhood, we put together a big, thick booklet, uh, studied all the census material of people who live around the church and tried to figure out who are they and what makes them tick and uh, what do they do for a living and, and, and what are the needs in the neighborhood and, and in our city. And we started studying that. And then we started asking questions like, well, if, if this is who we're trying to reach, if this is who we want to share Jesus with, who do we need to be? And so we tried all kinds of things back in those days. One of the things we did, we were, it was coming up towards Christmas and we've been reading this parable of Jesus and he tells this story about how the kingdom of God is like a banquet, like a beautiful, big, huge meal. And you just think of all the things that come along with thinking through what a big banquet is like. It's super relational. It's a celebration. It's joy-filled. You all come together and you eat the good food and you're supposed to be talking and laughing and relating and probably brings you back close together. And so I know it's a parable and there's probably multiple layers of meaning that you're supposed to draw out of it. But we just looked at each other and said, why don't we just try and do that? We'll just throw a big party. It's almost Christmas time. We'll throw a big party. We'll take all the seats out of here. We'll put in tables. We'll get lots of food. And in the parable, Jesus says, you know, the servants of the master go out and they invite all kinds of people. But there's all these people who are self-important and they've got busy lives and they make up pretty lame excuses why they uh, won't go to the party at the last minute. So then he says to his servants, we'll just keep on going and go to the people, I'm summarizing, but maybe who never, no one's invited them to a party before. Go to the people who are lame and blind. Uh, who are experiencing poverty, uh, who are on the outsides, on the margins, and we're just going to fill this place up. And so we went, ah, oh, that sounds like a really good idea. So we started going into our neighborhood, and we just thought, let's try and invite people that maybe aren't going to get invited to another Christmas meal or party. And we'll all come together, and all of us will just, we'll just have this big party, and uh, then we'll just tell them we kind of think this is how God operates, all of us together doing this kind of stuff. And so uh, we, invited, we invited people uh, at the university, you know, uh, international students who are a long way from home, and we invited some people uh, who maybe wouldn't be able to afford a meal at Christmas like that, and we invited people who were lonely and on their own, uh, and we just all came together, uh, and, and a whole bunch of people showed up, and we had this great party. And that night I met this guy, he was from Iran, one of the international students, and I found out he'd only been in the country for maybe three days or something like that. And somebody from our church was on campus and met him and went, oh, we're having this cool party, would you want to come to our church and have a party? So he showed up. 
And I got to know him. And one of the other things we were talking about during that time leading up to Christmas, I was talking about how our traditions sometimes, uh, even as families, are just very internally focused. And so you get your family together and the people that you always have together. And I was challenging people to just think through, what if our traditions, we just kind of extended our tables and we started extending invitations and had traditions that were inclusive of people that weren't already at our table, whether it's our family, our friends, or our church. And so the frustrating, not frustrating, the challenging thing about being a preacher is when you tell people to do something, you have to be willing to try it yourself. It's kind of one of the implicit rules. Uh, Not perfect, but I can't ask you to do something if I'm not willing to try it myself. So I met this guy, and then I'm thinking, we have a tradition in our family, like my extended family, we all get together and have this great dinner, and we give each other little gifts, stockings, and stuffers, and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, okay, I've been teaching people about this. I should invite this guy to come be part of our thing. It would be a lot of fun. So during that night, towards the end of the night, I just said, hey, I know we just met, um, but you're off school for a couple of weeks, and there's going to be nobody around, and why don't you come to my family dinner for Christmas, and have you ever celebrated Christmas? He goes, no, I never celebrated Christmas before, but he agreed. So we pick him up, and we take him to my extended family's Christmas celebration a day or two later, and we had called ahead and said, hey, invited this guy. He's never had Christmas before. He's from Iran. Nobody's around. Uh, we usually ex- exchange little gifts to each other, and I said, can you just, just let's take stuff that we we're going to give to each other, and we'll fill up a stocking for him, and I just want to make it a, a great time. So my extended family was amazing. They go out, and they last minute buy these cool things, and we make a big dinner, and we just had fun getting to know him and playing games and all the stuff you normally do with family. It was, it was just a really great time. Then we drive back into the neighborhood, and he just lived a couple of blocks over here, and uh, I drive up, and I pull over to the curb to drop him off, and uh, he gets out of the car, and uh, all of a sudden, I realize he's standing at my door, which is a little weird. And uh, so I open the door, and I get out, uh, and he just, big hug. Like, he just wraps his arms around me. And in that moment, all of a sudden, I realize tears are streaming down his face. And that started a really, really awesome friendship between him and I and around uh, our church. He started coming on Sunday mornings every single week. He didn't miss a week. And people around here were kind of like my extended family. They just started going, this is a guy, he's away from his family, he's away from his home, and we can be there for him. And they started supporting him in really practical ways and welcoming him into the community. And we're having coffees and lunches and getting to know each other. And about three months later, it was Easter weekend. And I remember he walked in through those doors at the back, and I saw him, and immediately I knew something was wrong. You know when you can just tell on somebody's face. And so I go up to him and I said, hey man, are you okay? Just look a little, a little off today. And we sat down in the back uh, and he said, uh, Dave, political things has nothing to do with me, but they're canceling my visa, something to do with governments and all this kind of stuff. And they're sending me home early. Uh, I've tried everything. There's nothing I can do. Um, so I'm going to be going this week. It was like this, like this week they're sending me home back to Iran. And then he looked at me and he said, Dave, can you tell me one more time the good news of Jesus, so that I can go home and share this kind of love with my family and friends in Iran. And I tell you that story because it's just one of those moments where I go, that's what I want church to be like, where you just feel like that's what it's all about. Somebody who is invited into a community of people that just love so deeply and are willing to sacrifice and find practical ways and to share their faith, uh, not just in words, but also in how they relate and what they do, and to have someone go, I've never heard of this kind of relationship before. Tell me one more time, because God's working in my life, and I want to be able to share that with people across the world. It sounds like beautiful, doesn't it? I mean, you guys with me? Y'all go, that's a beautiful picture of a church. And I think a lot of us would go, that's the kind of church I want to go to. 
where we're all coming together and trying to do those kind of things for each other and for people on the outside uh, who feel like they're on the outside. But it's also a lot harder than it sounds. It sounds really simple, but part of our tendency, especially if you're somebody like me, I've been in church my entire life. So if you're somebody like me, um, I think this is a bit human nature. But what we end up doing is we start creating environments and places and spaces and systems that we're comfortable with and that really make sense to us and, and that serve our needs. And that's not a terrible thing because that's, that's natural. You're not going to go to a church where you go, I get nothing out of this and uh, I don't even like the stuff that we do. So of course, we're going to do things that we think make an impact on us and, and that make sense to us. But uh, I think if we're not careful, the, the tendency is that we go to a point where we start creating cultures that are inward focused, that are all about us. And even maybe without thinking it, we go on long enough. And the next thing you know is we're not thinking about the people who are not with us, the people who maybe have needs. We talked about last week very practically. Uh, and we start to think about, well, well, what's the style that I like? What is the music that I like? What, what do I want the pastor to say? What do I want this to look like and this style and all that kind of stuff, the language that they use, even some of the theology and it can be really easy in church life for us to start creating, even subconsciously, an environment that really works for quote-unquote insiders but does nothing for the people around us. And I think, this is why this is so important, if we are going to take following Jesus seriously, we need to fight that tendency. Because Jesus calls us to be people who are for people who may not be here, may not have this community yet, so in the book of Acts, and after the Gospels, Jesus has, has been crucified, resurrected, and then you have the book of Acts, which a lot of his people trying to figure out, how do we now go forward? Everything's different now in light of Jesus. Everything is different for us in light of Jesus. And there's things going on that many of them never expected. And now what do we do with our heritage? What do we do with our traditions? What do we do with sort of our religious systems? How do we come together? And they're trying to figure it out. And as many of us would expect, it's not always easy and smooth. And there's some serious disagreements on how you live out such a powerful message like that. So I want to read to you from a really pivotal, pivotal uh, chapter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. Here's how it starts. It says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas, uh, Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. So there's this moment where all of a sudden, a whole bunch of people who were originally, they're, they're Jewish, and this is their, their ethnicity, but it's also all wrapped up in um, their, their traditions and their religion, all this kind of coming together. And now they're realizing that God is doing something outside of our boundaries, outside of sort of what, what we're comfortable with, what, what we have traditions around, what we teach about. And all of a sudden, people are arguing about how you deal with that. And again, I, that's totally natural because you go, there's some very important things that we believe God has told us to do, and now they're in question and we don't know. So circumcision comes up, which is a weird thing for a lot of us in our culture to talk about. But for many cultures, not just in Jewish cultures, but for many cultures, uh, it's an initiation, right? Uh, it's, it's something that uh, is sort of a sign of belonging into community. It has to do with uh, reproduction and life and all of those kind of things. And so if that's foreign to you, it's just a different kind of culture. Uh, but for the Jewish people, it was even in their law. 
So this wasn't just something where they said, we think we should do it, it's a tradition, we've been doing it for a long time, it's important to us. It was also, and if we read our Bibles, God told you know, Moses and our leaders that this is what we're supposed to do. It's part of our relationship with him. And it's very powerfully symbolic of who we are and what our community is. And so now we get to this point where they're going, this, probably some people going, this isn't really a debatable point of theology. This is really, really important to us. Can we just, can, can this, people can come be part of us? And it's not just circumcision. It's sort of um, emblematic of the whole law. Like over 600 laws of how we are supposed to interact with God and other people here are at stake. So you can understand why some people would be like, this is a really big deal. Why they're arguing vehemently. We have some serious discussions. Because this is not just a small issue. Keep reading in verse 4. It says, when they arrived in Jerusalem... Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood and up insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders, these are the church leaders, met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, or some translations say something like, it was no small matter. It was a serious, serious debate. Peter stood up and addressed them as follows. He says, Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved by the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. I've gone to these people, and listen, you can argue all you want about this is how God's work works, and this is the boundaries, and this is how it's supposed to be, but I've been out there, and here's what I've noticed, that this powerful message, the good news of Jesus, Jesus announcing the kingdom of God is here, forgiveness of sin is available, that you are welcomed in. That's happening out there, whether we like it or not. And should we be really heaping up a a yoke on people, a burden on people? If that's what God is doing out there, should we really be making it hard for them to come to God? Because that's what he, this is Peter just saying, I was sent to these people and this is what's happening. And did you notice, it goes, and everybody had great joy. Everybody loved that God was working amongst a group of people that was, was new for them to experience. But we're still kind of caught up on on some of these laws. We're still kind of caught up on how we're supposed to organize through this. We're still caught up on what does it mean for you to actually belong and to convert into all these things. Two things, uh, at least two things, I think are important for us to note of what's happening here. The church is being, number one, centered around Jesus. This is so important. Not centered around the law which, you know, sort of sounds like for some of them, it's like, this is the law. And remember, this is the law given to Moses by God, written down in the Bible, descriptive for how we're supposed to live, treat each other, what it means to be us. So this is a huge paradigm shift. But you got somebody like Peter who is intentionally and very specifically sent out to people who are non-Jewish. And he goes, I got to tell you something. This, this good news that Jesus announced the victory is won, the victory over death, the victory over sin. I can't even, it's, I can't stop it. It's going outside of these boundaries. And we just, we got to celebrate that. And now we got to figure it out. But the law is no longer our, our central point of what makes us, us, what makes our group who we are. Circumcision, the other laws, 
that can't be the central thing. And just notice this. He's not saying, and so we should stop being Jewish. Or being Jewish is not a good thing. That doesn't occur to any of these people. They're not going, okay, we have to give that up and start something brand new. He's just going, and some of us, we have all this Jewish heritage and we have all of our traditions and everything that makes us us. And now we, we are going to do that in light of Jesus and the good news, in light of the cross, in light of the resurrection. But now we understand there are people who don't have all of our heritage and tradition, but the good news is good news to them too. And it's just this really powerful moment where I think He's trying to say to them, the goal is not to make people more like us, but to help them become more like him. The goal is not to make people more like us and what we've created, but to help them become more like Jesus. As he shows them what it looks like to love, as he shows them what it looks like uh, that God can be your heavenly father, that you can have this intimacy with God and to live out of that in such a way that his love becomes your love for the world, that that is what changes everything. And Peter, he's just getting in there and going, I, I would imagine, again, I'm kind of making this up, but I'd imagine he's saying, I understand, like I grew up with all these same laws. I, you know, we all believe this is how it's going to be and this is a huge paradigm shift and yet I can't help but notice what it is that God is doing out there and I think we have to go join him and I think that the, the, the thing that we're all going to rally around has to be Jesus. So then we think, what does that mean for us? And I would say very different circumstances than uh, the original this original text and the early church and the Jewish-Gentile debate. But for us, it goes back and, and we still kind of do the same thing. What I talked about, we create uh, systems, we create uh, traditions and things that oftentimes serve us and put barriers for other people. And it becomes this inward-focused thing. And we become, well, who, what does it mean to, to belong? Well, it means that you have to do this, 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 this. And then maybe you can. If you become more like us, you can belong. And Peter's going, I don't think that's the case. I think it all has to revolve around Jesus. So for us as a church, what this means is that Jesus becomes central to who we are and what we do. And we always have to be asking those questions. When it comes to how we read the scripture, you ever come to some scriptures and you go, I don't even know what to do with that. Like, just be honest, there's some crazy stuff in here. By crazy, I mean just completely out of our culture. Some of it is very violent. Some of it, you scratch your head and you go, we definitely don't follow those laws anymore. We definitely don't live like that. But then we come to other stuff and we go, well, is this one of the ones we're still supposed to follow? Is this one we're not supposed to follow? And how do we know what's central for us and, and what we kind of make really, really important and what we don't? And the answer, I think, from the early church is we make Jesus central. And that doesn't say, mean that the problems all go away and it's just simple to interpret the Bible and to interpret who we're supposed to be. There's still very complicated questions because after all, I believe this is, this is our Bible is inspired by God, that he's given us uh, this book for us to look into. But I also believe that everything in it is pointing us towards Jesus. That Jesus becomes the center and the fulfillment of the scriptures. And so if we're trying to figure out, well, how does all this work? And what, we don't just pluck a verse out and go, oh, there you go. Leviticus, you know, 8, whatever, says this. And it's really weird, but we got to do it. You go, where in the story are we? And how does this contribute to maybe telling us about why we needed Jesus in the first place? Because a lot of what the laws do in the Old Testament and the law in general do is, uh, and, you know, they mention this in this passage. It's like, guys, we don't really follow all this anyway. Did you catch that part? Because you're trying to impose this on other people, but we don't, we're not perfect either. Like, we don't follow all the laws. That can't be the end of the story. That can't be the central thing. Because if it is, none of us measure up. And that's why he says, but then it shows us that and we go towards Jesus. 
And then Jesus reveals to us that God is doing, and this is what's happening amongst the Gentiles. We believe that they are being saved the same way by undeserved grace. That that's what God does. So we got to open that up and just realize, okay, so that should inform how we read the Bible. That should inform our ethics, our morals. That should inform how we create environments for us to come together as a, a group of people that follow Jesus. Jesus becomes central to everything that we do. And so for us, it's good for us to start asking those questions and continue to always ask those questions as we read our Bible and take it seriously to say, where does this fit in to the, the Jesus story? And how does Jesus fulfill these things and help us uh, to move forward? The second thing that I think is done um, is that they're sent on mission. Peter specifically. So Peter very specifically was sent to go to non-Jewish uh, places, non-Jewish people, and to share the good news of Jesus. We read that in the book of Acts. It was, uh, yes, the whole church is to do this, but Peter was also sent very specifically. And he's, again, reporting on going, and he's reporting on people's lives are being changed and transformed. And everybody, again, they love that, even, even though they're trying to figure out what that means for them. They, of course, we love that. These places that we read before they come to Jerusalem, they're all these non-Jewish places. And that's the point, is that the radical love of Jesus, who would die for us, die for the people he loved, it's so powerful, it can't be contained. And for a people who, uh, in this context, God, whoever your God was, very you know, pluralistic society, culture, everybody had their own God. God was often thought to be very tribalistic. So uh, we have our God, you have your God, our nation or our ethnicity versus yours. And it was oftentimes, not that we don't believe in your God, we just believe our God is stronger. And now we have this powerful message that says God, that we see in Jesus, Colossians 1 says that Jesus is uh, the image of the invisible God. That if you're wondering what, what would it be like if God showed up, well, we see Jesus is not just for us, it's for the world. It's not our God versus your God, it's a God who wants to be for all of us. And this God is the God that is working beyond our boundaries, beyond our ethnicity, beyond maybe what we expected. And this message of love cannot be denied. It is happening. You can't keep it to yourself. So what's birthed here is a vision that looks outward and not inward. And again, if you read the scriptures, if you read through the Old, Old Testament, there's definitely breakouts where it's, it's not this case. But a lot of it is the people are always trying to come back to Jerusalem. The people of Israel, they're often kicked out of their land. They're oppressed. And the point is the spiral is going inward. I want to go back to Jerusalem, back to our land, back where God blesses us, back to the temple. We want to rebuild the temple. And in the temple, what do we have? We have the presence of God. And in Jesus, what we see is we come to that center point on the cross where we see Jesus showing us the presence of God. And we, we read that uh, in the temple, that curtain between people and the holies of holies where you could not go, the concentrated presence of God ripped in two. And now it's like the spiral that looked like it was going inward, 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 inward. Now it starts to go back outward, 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 outward. And back into the world, through the world, the presence of God now in, unleashed through the gathering of people who follow Jesus. And that's what Peter is talking about here. I believe with all my heart that God has called Westside Church to be a Jesus-centered church that is for unchurched people. That we exist as a people who put Jesus at the center to be a church, which we talked about a few weeks ago, a gathering of people that is for people who are not yet gathered, people who are not yet part of this. That we are called to look outward. That we are called to share this faith. That we are called to look around us and meet needs that are, are practical, that are physical, that are emotional, and that are spiritual 
That if we take Jesus seriously, this is the call and the direction that we must go. What if there was a group of people who came together who were known more for who they're for than what they're against? Driven by that kind of mission. So we have traditions and boundaries and we're trying to work out what some of those look like and how we're supposed to live. But at the center, we knew that if we follow Jesus, Jesus, us, Jesus will lead us outwardly to love people the way that he loved us. A group of people who had a mission to help people who don't belong to belong, who were compelled by generous compassion, of people who were driven by mission, not our methods, not our traditions, not what makes us feel comfortable, but by where Jesus is calling us to go. Here's the amazing thing. Skip down a little bit in Acts 15. This is the, so they really fight about this stuff, like a real church fight. And in verse 19, now it's James, another church leader. And he's, okay, we're trying to settle things, and not everybody's on the same page, but he goes, so my judgment is, my judgment is, I love this, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That we should not be putting up barriers for people to come to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, and from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. So we have 600 and something laws, tons and tons of laws that have been very important, central to who we are as a people group. But let's just whittle it down to this. Don't eat meat that has blood in it or given to idols or whatever, which, by the way, we know is culturally conditioned. It's not a law forever. They've already dealt with that in the book of Acts. Peter's dealt with it. And they realized that this whole what we can eat and not eat was really just symbolic of sort of an us-them mentality between people who are like us and not like us. And God has done away with that and called us to be unified and all together with people. So when they say this, you got to realize, it says it right there, it's because you're going to places, there's synagogues, and they're so stuck on this that it's going to ruin your mission if you go in and you start eating this kind of food. This is not going to be effective. You know it's not like forever. By the way, my friend from Iran, when he came and we were talking and having lunch, and one of the things I asked him at one point, I said, what's some of the things that are different for you here in Canada? Like anything really hard for you as you're getting used to the culture? And he goes, you people eat meat with blood in it, and it's disgusting. <laughs> And I'm the kind of guy that feels like if you cook a steak more than medium rare, you're ruining it. So we had a little bit of friction there. My apologies to vegetarians that are listening. Um, but that was just, it's just very cultural. And so he's going, okay, so sexual morality, because sexual morality is probably going to ruin your witness there. And then this whole food thing. And I think that's what we should do. And well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to share Jesus. Well, what about all the other things about well, how you should live and what's important and what are the laws? And I read between the lines and go, we're really going to have to figure that out. But let's just start by making the main thing the main thing. Let's put Jesus at the center and go out on mission as we follow him. So they write this letter. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater... This is what they write to the people that are going to go to the churches. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. It's good church communication right there. Hey, here's three things. What about the rest of them? Start with these three things. Go. Be effective. Share Jesus the good news. And we'll create probably some messy communities, but that are centered on Jesus. And we're going to figure out our lives together as we do that. So here we are, our building, for those of you who are in the, in the room, uh, but also for those of you who are watching online, here we are, 
Uh, I think um, strategically placed just outside of Dundas, right at the bottom of the hill from Ancaster, open to the rest of the city. And I wonder if there's going to be a group of people who will come together on mission to follow Jesus, to share his love with the people around us. I thought perhaps I would share with you just some statistics. We talked last week about some of the needs in our cities, practical things that we could do. And I thought maybe it would be good just to share a little bit about who's around us so that if some of us go, yes, this is who we want to be. By the way, this is who I believe God is calling us to be. Well, who, who is it that we want to share this love with? Who, who is it we want to share our faith with? Well, McMaster University, which is a 15-minute walk from here, has 33,000 students, a little bit more, that come from 120 countries all over the world. The entire world is in our backyard, and a huge percentage of those people can walk to our church building. They're right there. Across the city, almost just some of the needs, almost 25% of uh, the Hamilton population wasn't born in Canada. Many of us weren't born in Canada, here at Westside. 11% don't speak English as their first language. 15% of households are low-income households. That seems like a lot to me. Seems like to me that there is a lot of needs and a lot of people that are all around us that in very practical ways, I hope that you've caught through this series that we've been talking about, uh, that we would have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus and to create a kind of community that isn't just looking inward at what is good for us and what makes us feel comfortable, but looking outward to say, how do we share that kind of sacrificial love centering around Jesus with people all around us? And I thought I'll tell you some of those stats and you could go on census material, which we've done, and you can find out all sorts of things about our city, Ancaster, Dundas, Hamilton, the areas that I believe God has called us uh, to to be witnesses of the good news too. But then I was also thinking, as important as that is, let's go just a little bit deeper. And I wonder if as I'm talking and as I'm saying this, how many of us who are already part of this community, there's somebody in your mind that you wish was here. Somebody that you know and love, that you just believe because you know that Jesus changes life, that their life would benefit so much, would be transformed if there was a church that invited them in and welcomed them in. Maybe it's your children as they grow up and you say, man, I just, I want them to have a place that is for them, not against them, not putting up barriers for them, but a people that is so for them because they believe that God is for them, that they will change the way they do things to make them comfortable and, and to speak on their level and in their language and the way that they'll understand people that will love them and care for them. That maybe there's students that are living in our backyard. You say, these are students who are at a phase of life where they're deciding who they're going to be for the rest of their adult life, whether they know it or not. Many of them are away from home for the very first time for an extended period of time. And what would it look like if there was a people who said, we're not going to put barriers for people in that category to come to God, but instead we're going to open them with, with a welcoming open arms. What if it's people in your extended family, your friends, your neighbors, and you just long for there to be a church. That even if they don't believe what we believe, even if they're not sure about faith, even if they don't know about Jesus, there'd be a place that they would be comfortable coming. Whether that's on Sunday morning or something else or, or part of a life group or inviting you into their home or talking about things. Don't you long for that? And what if we became a people? And what if our filter, what if the way we ask questions about what we do and how we do revolved not around my preferences, your preferences, those of us who are already here, but on how we could tear down barriers for people who might be coming to God because I believe God is working all around us and it's just our job to try and look for him and join him where he's at. Can you remember the last time you lost something really important? Like your keys 
or uh, your phone, oh, your phone is the worst. You know that vulnerable feeling? You feel naked all of a sudden? It's like, I can't go anywhere with my phone. So let's say you drive away from somewhere and you get like 10, 15 minutes down the road and all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, 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 my phone, my keys. What am I going to do? Do you know what that feeling does to you where you just go, okay, whatever I was about to do needs to change. So what do you do? You turn around. You probably drive a little bit faster. You get to where you go and now all of a sudden you're looking differently at everything and all the places that you were a half an hour ago look different. You're looking for nooks and crannies. You're looking for where something could have fallen. What's happened in those moments? All of a sudden because you've lost something that is so important, you are on a mission. And what if there were a group of people in the west end of Hamilton, just outside of Dundas, just below Ancaster, walking distance to McMaster who got on mission for the good news of Jesus. So Heavenly Father, this is convicting to us, but I believe that um, this is the heart of your message, that you sent your son, that he was willing to come to us, and that as a result, we've experienced your love in our lives. And I pray that you would simply uh, do a work in our heart on an ongoing basis to help us ask the questions of who we need to be to share that love with the people around us and to share our faith with the people around us. I pray for people that maybe have come to our mind today that we love dearly and that we would love to know you because we believe that you give us life, you transform who we are and you give us that deep, satisfying, eternal life. And so I lift those names up to you and as we just think of them right now, we trust their lives to you and we pray that you would simply help us because we can't do this without you. But as we rely on your Holy Spirit to share the message that you have poured into our hearts and our life, your Holy Spirit, that we would share it with them.